0: These things are amazing. Uh, they are double-walled. They're not light. You're not going to, like, carry this into the field with you. This is the kind of thing somebody who loves you flies in, you know, <laughs> or you've got uh, a four-wheeler or something, and you bring it in. And so the two walls, they're, they keep the heat in really well, and they let the moisture out. And to me, they're an invaluable refuge when you're out hunting, especially if you're winter camping, so the last three moose hunts I've been on have been in the dead of winter up above tree line two hunts ago, uh, it was below twenty like twenty below zero, and sometimes it even touched thirty below zero and so i don't you know I don't know how uh we would have survived that hunt without the Arctic oven tent. It was so cold that I put moleskin on my nose and cheeks so as not to be frostbit. And so it was uh, very important at the end of the day, you know, you've been exerting and a little bit, of, uh, little bit of sweat and you're cold and you come back to the Arctic of intent and you warm up and you dry out and you regroup. I believe we went through somewhere between 60 and 70 little green Coleman propane bottles two winters ago. Uh, it was that cold. And, but we survived due to the Arctic of Intent. Uh, we are not animals. I realize that out there. We can't just hunker down and survive. We have got to have a refuge. Well, in our psalm today, David says, my soul takes refuge in God. And as much as I love Arctic of Intents, God's an even better refuge. He is the ultimate refuge for our souls. So go ahead and turn, if you would, to Psalm 57, and we like to start with the background to the psalm, because the psalms that we've been studying this summer, uh, David tells us the historical situation that gave rise to the psalm. We have context, and it's found in the little superscriptions to these psalms, and so Psalm 57, here's the superscription. To the choir master, so this is a psalm intended to be sung by the uh, community, according to Do Not Destroy, a popular tune in Israel at that time, which everybody seemed to know the tune to, but we don't. A miktam of David, we don't know what a miktam is, probably a liturgical or musical notation of David. Ah, okay, so David's the author. When he fled from Saul in the cave, that we know about because 1 Samuel 24 tells us that story. And I'll just summarize it. David is not alone at this time. He has uh, a small uh, group of followers, sort of societal outcasts, uh, who have gone to hang out with David. He's their leader. And they are on the run from Saul because Saul is trying to get his hands on David so he can kill him because God has anointed David the next king of Israel. Saul does not like that. And Saul, in his arrogance, believes he can thwart God's plan. And so he thinks, if I could just get my hands on David and kill him, then he can't be the next king of Israel, right? (coughs) So David and his men are uh, hanging out in the wilderness. They're in En Gedi. And, in, and at this particular moment, they are in a cave. Uh, Sabrina and I are standing in front of the cave. People think, uh, think David was hiding it. Uh, and there's a spring there. And so next picture, this is, a pretty, uh, this is a pretty barren wilderness, but it has this nice little oasis. And so David and his men are in, in the cave. Why? Because Saul and his soldiers are close, very close. And so I can imagine David and his guys, they're they're in the dark of the cave, they're being totally quiet, and they're hoping Saul will pass by. Well, Saul says, Halt! I gotta go to the bathroom. And he's a, apparently a discreet guy, and he says, I've got to go to a cave. So nobody sees me. And so he's in the cave, right? And and uh So David, I mean, he's really close to David and his men at this time. They're they're obviously in the the shadows. And David's men whisper, oh, this is our chance, David. Kill him. Kill him. If you just kill this guy, then, you know, we can, we'll be free. Why are we living out here? Because this guy's trying to kill us. So take him out. But David doesn't do that. Instead, he sneaks up quietly. He grabs a piece of Saul's uh, cloak and cuts it. You'll have to decide whether he was going number one or number two. The text doesn't tell us. I have my theories. So then he cuts, he cuts the robe, and then he creeps back into the, into, the, into the cave. Saul, unaware that anything has happened, leaves the cave, and he and his guys start exiting the uh, valley. And David comes out and he waves this piece of tunic and he yells to Saul, Saul, look what I have. Look at your cloak. Look how close I got to you and I did not kill you. And Saul is uh, quite shocked. He looks and and David says, I am not against you. I'm not your enemy. You should not be trying to hunt me down. I have not rebelled against you. I have not done anything wrong. May God judge between you and me because uh, this is unjust. Your pursuit of me is unjust. And Saul, this does prick Saul's conscience. And so he says, you are a better man than I am, David, because if I had the chance, I would have killed you. And so I will stop pursuing you. And David and his men headed back to Gibeah. I'm sorry, Saul and his men headed back to Gibeon. Now, David did not then come out into uh, public. He and his guys go to another stronghold. And I think it's because he suspected Dave, uh, Saul's repentance was temporary, and it was. He decided later that he ought to still go after uh, David, and he did. So that's the, that's the historical context that... Uh, inspired Psalm 57. So turn now to Psalm 57. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way. But they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, let your glory be over all the earth. The storms of destruction will come, they do for all of us. The question is, where will we seek refuge? because we will. When you're in a storm, you're going to go find some shelter. You're going to go find refuge somewhere. And unfortunately, a lot of people fail to take refuge in God, and so they take refuge in alcohol or or illicit relationships or money or, or somewhere that just doesn't lead them good places. But David is a great example for us, because here he is in this, in this storm of destruction, and he says, I'm going to go take refuge in God. Now, David is physically in a cave. And I think that, I, I have a feeling that he's kind of mentally, he's thinking, you know what, um, this cave is kind of giving me physical shelter but I'm really in the cave of God's care. I am taking refuge in God, just like I'm physically in re- taking refuge in this cave. Think of this imagery. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. So David is imagining God as just this giant, giant bird that has him uh, wrapped, who has his... Wings wrapped around David, and David's inside like like in a cave, and he's sheltered from the storm. Is that the way you think about yourself? I think it's important to picture, have mental pictures. Do you picture yourself as in the shadow of God's wings, in the cave of his care? So not that long ago, I counseled a a young woman who had been violated as a teenager. And she told me, you know, right before this happened, I had been baptized, and I was content with my relationship with Christ. And then this happened to me. And I asked the question, if God doesn't protect me from this, then what's the point of following Him? And so she said, for the last four years, I haven't trusted God and I have not sought refuge in him, but in all other places. And it, it has taken me down some bad roads. In fact, I was asked to come speak with her because it took her to a psychiatric institute for a while. Where we seek refuge when the storms of life come makes all the difference makes all the difference. And we have a choice in it. So David chooses to take refuge in God. And so I want to talk about how do we stay there? And there's a lot in this, there's a lot in this psalm, Uh, but I'm going to just highlight two things. Number one, first way to remain in the shelter of God's care is this. Resist the temptation to end the storm with ungodly means. Resist the temptation to end the storm with ungodly means. So David and his men are in the cave. And there's Saul just feet in front of them. They could take Saul out. And then the storm would have ended, right? It could be over right now, David. In fact, that's what his men tell him. End the storm today, right now. All you got to do is let us kill Saul. And they even dress it up in spiritual language. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. By the way, there's nowhere in Scripture where that's found. These guys are sort of taking some interpretive license. But they're saying, David, God gave you this opportunity to end the storm. God wants you to do it. Just got to kill Saul. And David resists that temptation. Why? Because he knows God has not authorized me to, to murder Saul. He has not granted me that right. And so for me to end the storm by killing Saul would be doing something, it would be breaking bad. <laughs> It'd be doing something uh, evil. And that can't be God's plan. So when we take refuge in God in the midst of the storm, we, we will face temptation to, uh, to end the storm using ungodly means. And we have to say, no, that can't be the way God wants to Take care of me. So let me run some scenarios. Here might be a storm you're in. I don't like my boss. He or she is making my life miserable. So there's your storm. What's the temptation? You know what? I could make up a story about my boss and get him fired. And then the storm would be over. But that's employing ungodly means. That can't be. Uh, As soon as we go there, we're stepping out of God being our refuge, and we're not letting him take care of us. Here's another one. My parents won't let me text whomever I want, whenever I want. They won't let me use my phone the way I want to use my phone. So that's a storm. I know that's a storm. So the temptation, you know what? I could just be sneaky with my phone, and uh, my parents wouldn't know. Here's another storm. I am super stressed out. I'm so stressed out. I've got, I've got to handle this stress, get it off me. And so, you know what? I could manage this stress with alcohol, with pornography, with eating, all kinds of other ways than just uh, pressing into the Lord. I'm in the hole financially. Ah, the financial storm. Well, maybe I just cheat on my taxes or steal or sell something using uh, false claims. How about the storm of, I want to be married, but I can't find a suitable Christian spouse? That's a storm. And then there's a temptation of, you know what? Just broaden your options. Marry an unbeliever. How about this one? I am the most picked on kid at school. Then the temptation is, you know what? I'm going to make another kid the new target. Or finally, you're com- competing with a coworker for a promotion, and you're tempted to badmouth them in order to get an edge. Listen, for every storm we're in, for most storms we're in, uh, there is an opportunity that the evil one presents us to end the storm using some ungodly means. And that is a temptation, isn't it? Because the storm is scary and the storm is often painful. But when we do that, we exit God as our refuge. And, it, and then our soul is in danger and it takes us into some bad places. <clears throat> Why was David able to resist that temptation? I believe we find the answer here in verse 2 of the psalm. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. David understood God has a purpose for my life. And we're talking about the most high God, the God with all the power. And you know what? Saul is not going to disrupt God's purpose for my life. It's going to come to pass. God's going to ensure that comes to pass. God will fulfill his purpose for me. Therefore, I don't need to try to uh, do that on my own using wicked means. I will just entrust myself to the Lord and then he will work it all out. God has a purpose for you. In Philippians chapter one, verse six, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, that good work was begun by God, and God will fulfill it. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we're told, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has a plan for our lives. And if we are putting our refuge, taking refuge in him, that good plan for our lives will be fulfilled. And so we don't have to uh, stress about that. Don't take matters into your own hands. Now, David, you know, he wasn't just sitting on his hands. David was very active fleeing Saul. But David refused to do wicked things in order to protect himself. And so the first way to remain in the shelter of God's care is to resist the temptation to end the storm with ungodly means. And we all have that choice to make. The second way to remain in the shelter of God's care is Refuse to doubt God's steadfast love and faithfulness to you. I love verse 7. David says, My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. Now, what is his heart steadfast on? He's, it's steadfast in his faith in God. In verse 3, he writes, God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. In verse 10, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. God has bound himself to David. David is in a covenantal relationship with God in which God has said, I bind myself to you, I will love you and be faithful to you for a lifetime. And David believed that. He clung to that. His heart is steadfast in that conviction. Christian, you are in a covenantal relationship with God. He has covenanted with you. He has bound himself to you. 1 John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, what name is that? The name of Jesus Christ. He gave the right to become Children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, in one sense, we're all children of God, all humans, because He's our Creator. But here He's talking about a special relationship that the Christian has. We are born again, uh, we are adopted into the family of God, He calls us His sons and daughters. He covenants Himself with us, and He says, I will love you steadfastly. I will be faithful to you, period, for a lifetime. And this is why in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, we read, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that? Are you sure? So how tragic that this young woman, a young Christian woman, began to doubt God's love and faithfulness toward her. And it derailed her spiritually and i drew her a little diagram i said you know you had a trauma in your life and so often you know for most christians there's a time in life in which something traumatic happens some crisis and then we make a choice we're going to either process that trauma by faith or not we're going to process it on our own apart from god and and you? And she said, yeah, this was me. Said, so for four years, you've been processing the tr- trauma on your own apart from God, and it's taken you bad places. She said, absolutely. I said, I want to, you know, you're, you are a baptized Christian. You had the right to process this by faith, and I want to talk to you a little bit about what could have been different. And so we talked. We talked about how Had she processed the trauma by faith, rather than having lost her relationship with God, it could have gone deeper as she pressed into him for help and comfort. We talked about how her faith actually could have grown as day by day by day she went to the Lord and said, help me with my anger, help me with my pain, restore me to a sense of health and purity. We talked about how by this time she could have a tremendous story of God's faithfulness in her life that she could share with other people. We comfort others with the comfort with which we have been comforted, which means we've been uncomfortable, and then God has comforted in us that in us. We talked about how, you know, she could have learned that the benefits of following Jesus are better than simply being protected from the troubles of this world. I mean, at, she's a young Christian. She has a super simplistic idea of what, it, what the benefit it is of being a Christian. Oh, well, I'm a Christian. That means God protects me from the bad stuff of the world. And, well, that's not Christianity, is it? And so she could have learned that. She could have learned that, you know what? Uh, actually, it's about Christ helping me be an overcomer even in a broken world. And then finally, we talked about, you know what? had you been processing this trauma by faith for the last four years, you could have learned that not, you didn't need to be afraid of life. Because you know what? If God can help me get through that, what can't he help me get through? Life's no longer a scary place, is it? I, I don't like, need to spend my life trying to not be hurt. I just, I've got God on my side and we can get through anything. You know, she, she said, can I take that paper with me? <laughs> she said, this has been encouraging. It's given me stuff to think about, and uh, thank you so much. Listen, storms, they're going to come into our lives. We will seek refuge somewhere. As Christians, we have the privilege of seeking refuge in the shadow of God's wings, his steadfast love and faithfulness taking care of us. And someday the storm will pass, right? Till the storms of destruction pass by. They always do. Storms are only temporary. Now, they might last your entire life on earth. But as a Christian, we have an an eternity in front of us where God says there aren't any storms. There are no more tears. There's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. There's no more suffering. And if we will seek our refuge in God... When that storm passes by, our soul will be safe and we will be able to testify, God has taken care of me.